You know what Jack Burton always says at a time like this. Who's Jack Burton? Jack Burton, me- <sighs> never mind. You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Tonight, we're continuing our Summer of 86 retrospective series. So join us tonight on the Pork Chop Express as we take a look back at John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Our dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something's actually strange. Children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war. No great depression. They're coming to get you, Barbara. We're on a mission from God. All right, sweethearts, you heard the man. Pull him out. Come on, let's have him. I will show you where I have made my home while preparing to bring justice. Then I will break you. How great was the spiritual war? How great depression is our lives. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian Elkins. With me tonight, Paul Williams. What's up? So we're talking about Big Trouble, John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, 1986. Uh, kind of hard to classify this film. Kind of a comedy, kind of an action movie, an adventure film, martial arts movie. Yeah, it's a little bit of it's a little bit of everything. Man. It's, it's got a lot of different flavor to it. When's the first time you you saw this film? Dude, I saw this movie when I was. Probably nine, ten, something like that. Yeah, me too. Same here. I was, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was around that age. I want to say ten or so, or whenever this was. Uh, I want to say this was on TV, like around nineteen ninety, like around on TBS or NBC. I remember catching it, you know, at that time. This is like one of my version of Goonies, like this and the Monster Squad. Those were my Goonies, man. Yeah. Monster Squad was an awesome ass movie too. That's, that's a really good feel-good adventure movie, and I mean, which I mean, I think Big Trouble in Little China is, you know, in its own right, kind of a feel-good adventure movie. It's like the big summer blockbuster film, kind of like Indiana Jones, kind of like a comedy, kind of like a martial arts movie, all thrown together in this big '80s adventure melting pot. And you throw like the mysticism and you know, like the fantasy element to the movie. Man, the energy in this film, like, everything is so over-the-top, so high-energy. I feel like you don't ever get a break. The only breaks you get are, like, in the the conversational pieces, like, when they're in the restaurant and stuff like that. That's really the only breaks you get. I mean, really, and those scenes are just, like, really just characters laying down some exposition with some comedy thrown in there. But they're so short, man, and it goes right back into the, right back into the action. I was reading a review uh, that was actually written in 1986. I want to say it was Ebert's review where he was actually slamming, I think, just the pacing of this film where he said something like the whole movie feels like one big chase. Is that is that a diss? What, how That sounds like a compliment to me. I mean, I guess that's kind of what you want in a movie, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean in this kind of film, yeah, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't think this movie is going to get anybody to, like, rethink – any part of their life or change anyone's view on anything 
the, I think the movie's purpose is to be entertaining. You know, you look at the story. It's not saying something real deep about humans and how people connect or anything like that. It's just a fun adventure film. And it's also a bit of a love story, too. Uh, what? A girl. A guy. But, I mean, I would almost say this movie has more of a bromance going on in it than it does, like, an actual romance. <laughs> bromance, yeah. Between, like, yeah, Wang and Jack, that. you know? Like, I don't want to skip ahead to the end. Like, a little little spoiler warning. We usually don't get into spoilers this quick, but this kind of pertains. But, like, even at the end of the movie, when he says goodbye to the the main love interest... It's just kind of like, yeah, goodbye. Then he has that real big moment with Wang at the end, and that that's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's a moment right there. Like, the movie, like, ooh, stops, and like, yeah, we shook the pillars of heaven. Yeah, you know, that is, that is true, because he, he just kind of blows her off, like, yeah, whatever, babe. And she, she was all about, like, you know, getting with the dude, you know? She wasn't even interested in him at first. Now it's like she's all about and I guess, like, the other real thing of Ebert's review, um, and, you know, this film, I guess, maybe now, it has a couple of people that uh, accuse it of being racist and having Asian stereotypes in the film. I don't know. I, I personally don't see it. I don't understand why people want to categorize or say that the movie is racist. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think that the opposite is kind of true. Like, I feel the movie goes, like, out of its way to say that it's not doing this in so many scenes, it kind of slaps you in the face. And I find it a little frustrating that critics yeah. didn't see that. Normally in a typical, you know, older, older movies, that would have been, you know, your main character would have been this dance, dashing, handsome, Caucasian male. And yeah, a know, white dude. you would have had blundering, you know, Japanese, not that I mean, or Chinese, not that very smart, you know, sidekick, almost like the Green Hornet. Yeah, right. But, but you know, this movie reverses yeah. that. But yes, it totally reverses that, and it makes the white guy a, a basically a idiotic John Wayne. Yeah, the white guy in the movie that's supposed to be the lead character is the buffoon. He all he just does something idiotic every time in the film. Like his character is always doing something stupid. He just so happens to luck out with it. Like, he just so happens to, you know, it just so happens to work to his advantage. No, it didn't happen to work to his, his advantage. Wang is out there whipping everybody's butt and doing all the work, coming up with all the ideas. And Kurt Russell's character, uh, Jack Burns, is kinda, he's just kind of along for the ride. You know what I mean? And there's even yep. there's even a moment in the film that they, they purposefully call out. A Chinese uh, street gang. I forget what the good street gang is called, but they, they come on into this bar and they, they enlisted these guys to help. And Kurt Russell's like, oh, hold up. And he's like, no, wait, these, these are the good guys. And Kurt Russell's character makes some comment about, like, I forget what he says, but he, he says something like, do they speak any English? Any of them savvy English? Hey, man, who is this guy? All right, all right. You got any guns? Well, not against Lopan. Here, here's one for you. Make you feel better, like Dirty Harry. I'll stick with these. And it's just like, you know, and this is a comedy here. You know, I, I think it's hilarious that, like, everybody knows kung fu in the film. You know, that's that's funny. And it's funny when, like, when they take these moments later and they call them out. They have a hard time accepting Kurt Russell or telling his character, Jack, what's even going on. You know, the actual truth behind all this cra all these crazy events that happen. Because they view him as an outsider, and I think they even make comments about the fact that he's, you know, he's kind of an outsider to their culture. The white tigers? Oh, God, I'm sorry. 
If we get over there tonight fast, maybe we can buy her back. A search warrant's too complicated. Violence out of the question. Hold it. Hold it. Slow down. I'm feeling a little like an outsider here. You are. Jack, listen. I need more of your help. I don't want to say they were on the nose, but I thought they were pretty obvious. I think John Carpenter was doing some homages to martial arts films, and some people took that as racism. I just think it's kind of ridiculous. I said, do you think that's what it could have been? Because... I mean, even even some of the movie has, to me, almost a bit of like an anime kind of feel to it. Yeah, no, there's some yeah, there's some anime influence shots for sure. Like especially toward the end, where the the fight scenes where they're jumping with the swords and they're both fighting in midair. Now, I will admit, I really like this movie. I'm a big John Carpenter fan, so I may be looking at it in terms of this is a movie I really enjoy from a filmmaker's work that I really respect. So I don't want to see that in it, but yeah. I, mean, it, I I don't I don't feel that I feel like the film goes out of its way to make these call outs. I love a lot of Carpenter films. I don't know, man. I don't see I don't see Car- John Carpenter making a movie or, or standing behind a movie that he thought would be racist. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It it takes what you should be complaining about as maybe being racist, and it turns it around. Everybody has their own opinion, and they see what they're going to see. But watch the movie a little bit closer. Pay attention to it a little bit. I just cannot believe a movie with this much love and this much passion put into it. And not only just... Could be little Yeah, I mean, it's so much love and passion for martial arts film, for kung fu films. And I don't see how you can make something with so much love and have hate in it. All right, so switching gears, moving on a little bit of that. That's just kind of our our, th- our food uh, for thought about that. And, you know, take that with a little bit of grain of salt because we are two white guys talking. Well, I'm a white guy talking about it, so I won't speak for Paul. Yeah, I'm just mixed up white Indian. The other big thing about this film is, and what makes it a real big cult film, is that when this movie was released, it did not do that good at the box office. Yeah, its budget was $25 million. Uh, and 1986 dollars, and the that that's a good little bit, and it brought in a 11.1 in the U.S. Um, we don't have worldwide figures for it. I could not find that information. So uh, if if you know that information, please send it to me. Uh, and I couldn't look up uh, video sales. I'm pretty sure with video sales over the years, it's come close to maybe breaking even. But uh, and it didn't get the best reviews when it came out. Uh, we talked. I know we talked about uh, Roger Ebert's review. Um, but yeah, there were, there were some reviews that I don't think the critics really got it at the time. And, uh, I mean, I feel sorry for Carpenter cause there's, this is kind of the story for a lot of his films that people just didn't get it. They, you know, they, he's, he's kind of ahead of his time. He comes up with ideas. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he should, he should hold on to those and make them in five or seven years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do feel bad for Carpenter, man, because he's, he's made, he's, man, he's made so many great movies and. Yeah, it sucks that they they didn't find their audience. Master of horror, man. That's right, the master of horror. But the other big thing was that John Carpenter, he had a really terrible time making this film, and he kind of left the studio system. And he blames a, a lot of a lot of different things for it, you know, for it not succeeding. Him and Kurt Russell both do, especially like on the commentary for the Blu-ray or the DVD, where they list things like you know, Aliens was getting ready to come out. Um, a couple weeks later, that was a big marketing thing, and Fox only yeah. had a three million dollar marketing budget for this film, and they were only going to dedicate that toward its opening weekend. And man, that's that's nothing. And 
I know, man, you read a lot of interviews with John Carpenter, and we'll see if we can find some and put them in the show notes for you guys. Where he he got really mad at um at a lot of the the studio execs for for not putting putting a little bit more money into the marketing to get word out there. I think his quote is like, "We busted well, I mean, our ass making this movie. You sh- you should be busting your ass marketing it." Well, I mean that's absolutely true. You know, twentieth century Fox they did Big Trouble Little China. Also did Aliens. Now, when you're the same company and you got two big movies coming out like that, and you market one immensely, and the other one you're just like, oh, we're gonna give you a little bit of money. I mean, come on, what do you what are you gonna expect? Like, what are you gonna expect that movie to make in theaters? Yeah, he was he was pretty mad about it. Um, which you know, I think he was he was rightfully mad about it. Sounds like it was it was it was rightfully mad because I mean you know you make a film and they're like oh we're gonna put more money into this other film yeah and it's kind of like okay well what about all the work that I put into this film that doesn't matter well I mean he he kind of left the studio system after this and he didn't go back to the uh, till Memoirs of an Invisible Man uh, in in the early nineties you know he he kind of went independent he did those Universal uh, films uh, They Live and Prince of Darkness. And John Carpenter's always been like a bit of a a bit of a rebellious type too as well, from what I understand, when it comes to the the major, you know, Hollywood film companies. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's kind of always his attitude. He always seems like he's the um, you know, teenage rock star a little bit, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's just, he seems like, you know, the kind of guy you could ask him to do something, he'll be he'd be like, Rock and roll, brother, let's do it. Hey John Carpenter, I'm telling yeah, you to do something. Good. Oh, you go fuck yourself. I'm not doing that. He has he has the most punk punk mentality ever. <laughs> he seems very hardworking, honest, and uh, you know he he's not going to bullshit with you. You do right by me, I'll do right by you, kind of guy. Exactly. Okay, and this uh, Big Trouble in Little China is Kurt Russell and John Carpenter's fourth picture together. So they did El- yeah. he did that Elvis movie, Escape from New York, The Thing. And Big Trouble in Little China. This is now their, this is their fourth film they worked on, and they do one more together. They did uh, Escape from L.A. as well. And this is one of those great Hollywood pairings of like actors, directors, like John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Whenever those two like are together, you're like, oh man, this movie's probably going to be pretty awesome. Even when you listen to the commentary, where you listen to Kurt Russell and John Carpenter talking there, like they're having fun, they're laughing together. That's one yeah. of the best commentaries I've had the pleasure of listening to because. Man, you just feel like you're hanging out with those guys. Yeah, they do. You can tell that they have, they don't just have a professional working relationship together. You can tell that they're actually, they seem kind of like friends. Kim Cattrall's in this movie from um, Sex in the City fame now, I guess. She's in Big Trouble, a Little China, and Sex in the City. That's, that's about all my knowledge of have, Kim Cattrall. <laughs> have you seen her in anything else ever? I, not that I can remember right off the top of my head. Uh, well, I remember no, she's also in um, Star Trek. Uh, which one was it? Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. That one where she's kind of playing really? like Spock's pupil or something. Isn't it Six where they get, get they get thrown in the uh, Klingon the Klingon prison, and it's like on some snow planet? Dude. Yeah, that's Six, man. I'm telling you, it's got to be Six. It's been so long since I've seen those Star Trekies, man. Well, yeah, she's in that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, she's she's good in this. They don't give her really. That much to do, really, at the end of the day. She's got some good one-liners. Yeah, she does have some good one-liners. And she does have a good groin shot, you know, where she kicks that 
Chewbacca mutant in the balls. What, what, you, what the hell was that thing, dude? I, I, I still just don't understand what the hell that thing was. It looked like a blowfish with eyes all over it. Didn't oh, the little quite understand. Yeah, the little uh, yeah, the little floating spy. And then you got the Chewbacca mutant Sasquatch Yeti Bigfoot creature monster. I I really don't know what the fuck that thing is. Yeah, it was just a hairy like little demon creature, man. You know. It, he was just a red-haired yeti. Okay, well, you well you brought it up. Let's let's talk about makeup. Let's talk about the creatures and stuff. Some of them look dated, like the little floating eyeball creature. In in some of the scenes, it kind of looked a little dated, but in some of the scenes that it was in, it kind of still held up. I'll tell you what I really thought uh, held up, and what really still looked good was uh, when old man um, Lopan is is in the wheelchair, and he goes to that whatever the phantom or ghost transformation and his freaking eyes like turn this bright orange color and then his whole head looks like when you shine a flashlight through a tree frog and the whole top of his head starts to glow this like weird you know orange color i thought i thought that looked pretty good still yeah i like the lightning effects too i thought the lightning effects were pretty cool yeah the lightning effect did held up from the rating the rating yeah and i thought like um We'll we'll talk about it a little bit later, but uh, Dean Dean Cundy, the guy that shot this, the cinematographer, who also shot Halloween and The Thing, by the way, and Escape from New York. I mean, the blue lightning effect is just hand drawn on the frame, but they're actually doing a a lighting effect, you know, on on the actors right there in camera. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty cool that you're able to time that up and then later put that effect in there. It makes it look. I mean, you know what it is, but it looks pretty good, you know. I actually liked a lot of the set designs in this movie. I thought I thought the set designs were amazingly detailed too. Oh yeah, the um the Chinatown um alley set, man, where they have that big fight later is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then even even like some of the inside, like even the inside of uh Lopan's house, you know, that one room when, when they get put in the wheelchairs and stuff, where oh, they got yeah. all the gold Buddha statues and stuff yeah like, all, all, all that stuff was, was exquisitely detailed and it i mean it actually looks really good on film and they did a good job of varying their sets too because there's like some cool dungeons later in the movie and those are lit really yeah. awesome and look good and then that one scene when uh they're swimming under the water and there's all those bodies that are under the water yeah i mean some of the optical effects like with that eyeball creature you're talking about like those are dated just because of the nature of this movie and again how over the over the top this film is, it kind of works in the film's favor. Yeah, it does. It, it really like a, does. Yeah, it's kind of it adds a nice like little charming B movie feel to it. Kind of B movie makes it sound like it's bad though. I hate saying that. You know, like we were saying earlier, really, it, it's kind of an adventure film. Really, who doesn't love an an action adventure film? I I like the rest of their supporting cast here. Like man, dude, James Hong's playing uh, Lo Pan, dude. And man, he he kills it in this movie. He is so funny. He he does a very good job in this movie too. Third is um Victor Wong. Oh yeah, hey, the guy who plays Egg Shen. He's great, man. Yeah, his character is great, dude. He's he's great in every every movie he's in, man. Like when he when he's in Tremors, they call him Graboids. <laughs> yeah, they call him Graboids. The Last Emperor stole half this movie's cast. Yeah, you know, yeah, like half the people. Yeah, half the people that are in this are also in the Last Emperor. All right, guys. With that, we're gonna play the trailer. We're gonna come back and we're gonna spoil the mess out of this film. Talk about every scene, discuss it. 
We love it. This is Big Trouble in Little China. Stay tuned. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here. And a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of... Magic. The darkest magic. Ow! They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He make one move. And that's just where he's going. Jack. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's all in the reflexes. All right, we're back talking about Big Trouble in Little China. This this was a really big thing uh, growing up in my childhood. This was a, a really big film. Uh, it was a real important movie. It was one of these very first John Carpenter films I got exposed to. All that being said, I, I mean, I don't know if I like the opening scene here. I don't really care for it either myself, man. Beginning scene out of here with Deep Throat from the X-Files, you know, and, and Victor Wang. Uh, you know, I just kind of don't get the whole lawyer scene. I don't, really don't see where the significance is. I do know that the studio did make him put this on. To make uh, Kurt Russell's character appear more heroic, which is kind of missing the whole point of the movie, I think. But not only that, they don't ever go back to it at the end of the film. So it's kind of like... No, they don't. It's not a bookend, like, oh yes, now that I've told you the story and the lawyer has some kind of epiphany. Like, we never go back to this. Right after that uh, sequence, we go right into the uh, <laughs> the Pork Chop Express, driven by Mr. The Jack Burton. Man, all the dialogue here is great. I love that you don't hear anybody over the CB. <laughs> he either like got on. He's he first, he started talking to somebody, and they got like one word in. He just started telling some really long story, or yeah, he's see, talking I to no one. That time, like I almost wish that it started out with Jack on that CB telling the story and, and instead of Victor Wang telling the story to the lawyer in the beginning of the movie. I don't, yes, to me, that would have made sense. No, I see where you're coming from, but I really like Kurt Russell uh, just chomping on this uh, sandwich, telling these fucking crazy-ass stories, and, like, all of his life experience he's he's giving right away. Like, even when he goes across the uh, the San Francisco, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, man, and he's going into San Francisco, yeah. he's got... he's got this great thing. He's like, man, be pretty crazy to think we're all alone in this world. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then he just takes that big bite of that sandwich. He's just like Argh. the opening credits are going on during this whole sequence of him driving the truck and dropping some pigs off in Chinatown, and then he goes to a you know a a, a card game. Uh, what are they playing? They're like dominoes. He they're gambling. Yeah, it looks like what they're doing is they're taking dominoes and they're they're guessing a number and they're mixing the dominoes up and then flipping them over. And whoever guesses the right number wins. At least that's how I took it. 
it's only a couple shots, so I've really never paid attention to it. But they're they're gambling, yeah. and Kurt Russell ends up winning everything, and Wayne wants to win some of his money back. Nothing or double. Yeah, that that's his thing. Nothing or double, right? He goes in. I'm gonna cut the bottle in half, yeah. and this sets up the, of course, the big moment. You know, this is our Chekhov's gun, and this is Jack Burton's reflexes. Then Jack takes Wayne to the airport to meet his his beautiful green eyed girl, man. That he spent all this money bring to the U.S. so he can marry her. Yeah, and we're told that uh, Chinese women, uh, it's rare that they have green eyes, which is very important to the plot. And was those those fucking gangsters? What the hell was with those sunglasses, dude? Oh, the one guy that's got the uh, the white sunglasses that just have those little teeny slits in them that you can see through. They look like they would be more of an annoyance. <laughs> what kind of fashion statement are you trying to make wearing those damn things? The eighties was a was a really weird time. And you know, through all the running and fighting and everything, he did not lose those sunglasses one time. Oh no, dude! If you have shades that cool, you don't you don't lose them in the middle of a fight. You, dude. Don't, you don't lose them. That would have been awesome. If there was a shot in the movie, and dude gets his sunglasses kicked off. He's like, "Oh no, man! I gotta go get those." <laughs> Yeah, I gotta go get those. I gotta have them, man. They're imperative. They're there waiting for Wang's girl to come out. Kim Cattrall's character, Gracie Law's there. You know, Kurt Russell goes over to Kim Cattrall and, you know, he's he's like, hey, what's up? But their dialogue here, like, back and forth, I like how snappy it is and how she's interrupting him. Yeah. Man, we get this. We get a pretty cool action scene in the airport. (laughs) I like the the name of the the freaking uh, street gang, too, is Lords of Death. Yeah, it sounds like a death metal band. <laughs> the Lords of Death. It does sound like a death metal band. <laughs> We're here to rock you guys for the Lords of Death. They're there to kidnap the girl that Gracie Law's bringing in, right? They're not actually there to kidnap Wang's girl. They just kidnap her by, by, by mistake because they, they can't get Wayne's this other girl. girl. And coming to find out, the girl that they accidentally kidnapped was way more useful and valuable than... Girl, they were gonna kidnap. They're taking Either these Chinese girls and they're kidnapping them off the airport, and they're—it's kind of like taken, right? And they're throwing them in a in a brothel. I don't know, man. It's kind of dark, but from the airport, there's this really quick uh, parking deck scene. Man, I always like this this sequence right here. I like the POV of the car. They're getting ready to run uh, Jack and Wang over. When they're driving that Firebird. Yeah. Yeah, when they're driving that Firebird. And then there's an awesome shot of uh, uh, Maolene, like, all tied up in the back. Man, dude, the parking yeah. garage stuff looks – dude, it looks cool. I like how it's all set up. Hey, I love Kurt Russell's uh, line yeah. in there, too. Son of a bitch must pay. Jack and Wang end up chasing these gangsters, the lords of death, down into Chinatown. And this is where the first time I saw this as a kid, this kind of confused me. Our two main characters are, are trapped in a truck in this really tight back alleyway, which is a really cool set, by the way. So it's like good street gang, these bad street gangs, and they just start fighting in the middle of the street. But it's, it's weird because these two gangs actually what... have nothing to do with the guys that were at the airport or anything else. It's just here we are in Chinatown and there's some yeah. street gangs fighting. Yeah, it all had to do with the death of the one gang, some member of the one gang. But you know, you know, one thing I thought was kind of even funny in, in this scene, the Chinese cowboy gang. Oh, the dude that's got the revolvers? It's like, at first, I didn't think there were going to be any guns involved. It's a pretty bloodless battle, though. Like, 
I don't have a problem with that because of you know it's cartoony, it's over the top. It kind of works for this film. Also, in the street battle scene is when you get Raiden from Mortal Kombat, his two brothers, and David Lopin. Rain, lightning, and thunder. Okay, that's the guys here. They're not. It's not Raiden from Mortal Kombat. The thunder guy. I forget the weapon that he busted out. It didn't. It doesn't throw me off at all. But then the next yeah. guy. They look like just you know really extreme backstory. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that. I don't know what that's called. They're cool looking. I'll give it that. And they even like extend. They're awesome, but they do look like they look like he looks like he's fighting with back scratchers. <laughs> You know, Jack makes his first encounter with Lopin, and Lopin does the eye, the white eye mouth thing, and it, like, blinds Jack. And, like, Wayne carries him over there to that damn dirty-ass alley water. Like, for instance, he's like, here, just reach your eyes out dirty-ass alleyway water. <laughs> if you're up, Tom, just do about that. Yeah, I never <laughs> Not even, at all. I never even thought about that once, but he does, he does take him back there and throw. <laughs> well, he is blind, so he can't see where the water comes from. A horrible thing to do to a friend. It's like, oh, well, you know, you can't see. You're watching this out with something that could permanently blind you. And the three storms, they, like, you know, shoot lightning. I guess they mostly just, that one just shoots lightning. And the other ones don't really. <laughs> I guess rain really doesn't do much. The one guy just makes faces like he's constipated. The other dude, other than, other than like, his swords, like, the swords he used, what what power does he have? Well, the thunder guy, I think he, like, sucks in a bunch of air. I don't know, use that as some kind of strength super punch. I guess the other guy's just really good with swords. The the rain guy? I don't know. I guess maybe when he's sword fighting, he can cause it to rain really bad. And he'll be like, yeah, you're mildly uncomfortable while sword fighting, aren't you? Are, are you getting wedgies by any <laughs> nah, chance? No, you're going to have to go home with clothes in the dryer hang them up by the fireplace. That's right. You're going to be mildly inconvenienced for the next 40 minutes or however long it takes those clothes to dry. Their powers are not all well-defined. I guess the lightning guy definitely has the best power. Um, But when you shoot at them, they don't die, so that's kind of cool. Because those guys get shot at, and you see that they don't die. But Kurt Russell runs over Lopan, right? And he's in the middle of the road. He runs him over, and he gets out, and he sees that he's still alive. That freaks out Kurt Russell's character way more than the Three Storms dudes did. Man, I, I like the I mean, dude. I do like this scene a lot. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's very high energy. We haven't brought up the music. John Carpenter does the music like he does for most of his films. He doesn't do it for all of them. He didn't like the exceptions being like the thing. And but this one he does, and it just man it really moves the action along. I like. I really like what he does here with the score. Of course, I love the t- the title song as well too. Uh, the the Big Trouble in Little China. That's actually John Carpenter, and uh, I forget the other members. I think it's Tommy Lee Wallace who shot Halloween Three. That's actually th- that's them singing. That's John Carpenter singing for sure. You can see the music video. We'll post it in the show notes. You can go to YouTube and watch the music video. It, that video is so so eighties and nostalgic, and it's just awesome, dude. <laughs> So they, they leave that fight scene, and they, they go back to the restaurant, and they kind of regroup, and uh, Gracie Law shows up. But I, I will say in that restaurant scene, man, I love that conversation that uh, Kurt Russell's having with the insurance company on the phone while he's wearing that uh, baby blue robe oh. that looks like he could belong to a woman. Because he leaves his truck in that alleyway, and that his character, that's really the only thing that he has at stake in this entire movie outside of just helping his friends out. 
And then they go, they go in and they I guess Wang's big idea, his big plan is to dress Kurt Russell up as a complete nerd with some glasses and send him <laughs> in to a brothel to get out Mao Ying. <laughs> Kurt Russell, man, dude, he kills me in this scene. Like he is such a bumbling idiot. He even it's, says something about like another- my wife gave me that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the tie about the tie. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's great. Like he even makes something like uh, they do cash or check, and he's just like, "Well, I can't write it off, so I guess uh, cash." Goo, 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 goo. <laughs> but like the thing is, like you you know right away he fucks up when he's like, "Yeah, I'm looking for a green-eyed Chinese girl." The one that he's like, "Oh, well, they don't exist." Yeah, Jack, Jack's not too subtle when he goes in there. They figured his plan out pretty pretty quick. Um, but before they can even rescue him, the lightning dude comes in and uh, and steals Mao Ying. He doesn't just fly in; like he actually like rides that lightning bolt in. Dude, when I saw that as a yeah. kid, that just he blew my like, mind. He just busts holes in the roof of the building. They actually have him like ride the lightning bolt in, and that, it's a really cool effect for 1986. It man, it still looks pretty badass today. Like I was watching it on Blu-ray. Five hours ago, I was like, "Man, dude, that's that's still pretty cool." It does look really good. Oh yeah, man, Dean Cundey knows yeah, how to shoot special effects. Yeah, dude, that guy shot Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, Death Becomes Her, um, all those Carpenter movies that we named earlier. He's a cinematography legend. So they come up with a, a second plan that they're just gonna break in to. Uh, and, I, and I love, I love Wang's. You know, he's like, "We're just gonna sneak in real quick and sneak right out." Yeah, that's their plan. They're going to sneak in, get the girl, and leave. He's like, my mind and my, what is he, what did he say? My mind and my body are at one now. Will you be in and out there like wind? <laughs> my mind's going north and my spirit was going south. Of course I couldn't cut the bottle in half. Yeah, that's, don't you, yeah, that's why I couldn't cut the bottle. This girl, man, and I love her so much. It just messed me all up, and that's why it was nothing or double. But yeah, so they decide they're going to break into uh, Lopan's place, steal Mao Ying, and uh, get out without ever being seen. Yeah, they they go in there, uh, and they dude, this is where they, we get awesome dungeon scenes. Like our heroes get get trapped. This is you know this is probably the most Indiana Jones esque part of the film. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you know, I mean, most of it's like I feel like the, the martial arts. The other influences are showing really there, but when they're down in the sewers section of the in the movie and the dungeons, it does have a very Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of feel to it. You know, and like once again that one scene where they're swimming and there's like all these chains and all these bodies connected to the chains and stuff. Yeah, that that's a really cool scene, man. Yeah, I really I really like that scene too, man. And then they get captured after that. Yeah, and they get they finally get to meet uh good old Lopan. Played by the very talented and wonderful James Hong, dude. This guy is incredible. He's a great, great fucking actor. And, you know, it's weird, man, because he, he almost comes across like this, you know, like, like this old pervert. Oh, no, he definitely comes across as an old pervert. Like, there's, I think there's a, there's a scene like a little bit later where he's just like playing with the girls. And he's like messing with their faces and stuff. And he's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. All of his sounds that he makes, all his yells and his screams in this are absolutely hilarious. Like even in some cases, a bit a bit on the creepy side too. His expressions, especially when he's old man, you know, Lopan, like his expressions and like his laughter and 
you know, it kind of comes across as, as funny, but it's like, wow, that's kind of funny in a kind of a creepy way. And dude, I really, really love the old man low pan makeup, dude. That is so awesome. Like, I love like all the like, yeah, liver spots dude. they put all over his forehead and face. And oh man, dude, that it looks so good. Like his hair coming out, it's so thin. It's so thin and wispy. Like, yeah, even with his facial hair, like his facial hair, you can tell that like a lot of his facial hair looked like it was thinning and falling out and stuff. Like, I-, I love that shot when. When you have Jack and Wang in the in the wheelchairs, and all you can see is like the gold Buddha statues, I actually really love to look at that. Twenty five million dollars, nineteen eighty six. Carpenter, man, he used that, and man, this is a good looking movie. I mean, yeah. I, th- this was a summer blockbuster for nineteen eighty six. This was a supposed to be a su- big summer fucking event film. I mean, dude, you even look at the poster. The poster for this film is fucking gorgeous. It's so. It's just one of those great 80s hand-drawn posters. The scene after that, like, I actually really, I like that scene. The whole scene where the two girls come out there. Wayne's got the shotgun up against Eddie's neck. And it has that overhead view. And then you see Jack kind of scaling along the side of the bridge. Uh, Wayne and Eddie have to deal with all the trouble there. And I love that. (laughs) That that Jack he once he gets on top and he's just like, oh, hey, have you seen Gracie? And he's talking to that you know the other <laughs> journalist chick and she's just, you know she's just talking to him like, how are you gonna get us out of here? I don't know. <laughs> and he leaves and it's just like, <laughs> man, you have no idea what's going on. He's oblivious to everything. He just basically makes up everything as he goes along. They took the other journalist chick and they just like. Let her go. They gave her a pen and paper and everything else. And she's just kind of, kind of like laying in the bed, like writing in her diary. And then Gracie, they got this chick like fucking hog tied, dude. <laughs> with like this gag in her mouth. Why did they hog tie her? I don't understand why they hog tied her. Well, she, you know, I guess maybe she, she has a little bit more spunk to her. Maybe she was mouthing off and yeah. they, I do like she that because that kind of goes with her you. character, you know? They free all the girls. I guess they're they're low pans. I don't know what they are. I don't. Yeah, I didn't know why they were keeping the girls there, but they were keeping a lot of women. It was obvious. I don't know if Lopan had like his own little brothel thing going on, but there. You're right. There were specifically a lot of women locked up in here, and the guards were women too. Yeah. So I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure who who these women are. I don't know. Maybe they're just extra girls that he stole from the the brothel. Not that it's really important to the plot at all whatsoever. And I mean, one thing I do want to point out He's is... He's a bad guy. He does bad stuff. I think I think Jack keeps that damn boot knife in his mouth more than he does in his damn hands. Oh, man, dude. Okay, that's... Okay, so they, they get out. They, they have that underwater sequence, and that's pretty cool. But, dude, man, I love that scene when they go to the door, and <laughs> yeah. Jack Burton gives that great... Like, he gives this great prep... <laughs> It's an amazing prep speech. In fact, you know what? Let's play the audio for that. All right, we're almost out of here. Now, from here on, it gets pretty normal. Offices, storerooms, a nice false front. I count to three. Hello, if I want. Yeah, I open that door, and we move it. out. Everybody got that. Ready? Follow the leader. One, two, three. We may be trapped. That Wayne comes up and he's like, all right, come on, Jack. I'm not going to leave you. We're going to do this together. All right. He shoots a couple of the dudes that come in. Jack does. But then the entire time during the fight, 
he like throws his knife off. He's looking for his knife. Dude, Wayne kills everyone. Dude, he's like karate chopping the heads off everybody. It's brutal. It's terrible. And then Kurt Russell comes out at the end of the fight and just screaming, holding that empty Tech 9 and this little bitty knife in one hand. Ha! It's like, it's like Jack has this look of like confusion and uselessness at the same time at this point. And I like that they don't ever cut to like Jack like looking for his knife. Because it's, it makes it so much funnier. It's like the entire time this guy's karate kicking people, he's still looking for that knife. Well, that's the second time he does that. Because the the earlier, remember when, when the whole gang fight is going on, he goes to pull the knife out of his boot and drops <laughs> the knife. And then in this scene, he goes to like pull the knife out of his boot and the damn knife like goes flying across the fucking room. Pause the fight. Pause the fight. I got to go get my knife. Pause. Pause this. Gotta get my blade, man. Gotta get my blade. They end up getting away. Gracie Law gets stolen by the yeah. And I love, I kind of like that scene right there, man, where they have like the like the statues engraved in the wall. Watching it now, it's almost like wow, that that's kind of like something that you would see in like in like an old horror movie, you know, where where like the paintings you can move the eyes and look through the paintings, like. Oh, yeah, dude, that's an old horror movie trope. Nice B-movie serial vibe to it. I mean, you know, that's the thing, man. Carpenter knows the right elements to pull from in order for this to work. Yeah, and it definitely works. It definitely works. And during all the commotion, you know, nobody even realizes that she's gone because as they're running out of this building, they're getting shot at and everything else. I do like that. The security guards come out with, like, (laughs) AK-47s and start blowing holes in a tourist bus, no less. Yeah, and not only that, but, like, when the hell did, like, so many security guards? Because, like, there was only, like, three behind that desk. And when they were all shooting outside the building, it's, like, six or nine of the security guards. Well, like, okay. wow. They keep, they keep the Chinese martial artists down below in the dungeon area. And all the security guards that, you know, have are armed with AK-47s are on the top floor. You know, because every normal security guard just carries around a fully loaded mat, fully automatic, you know. Assault rifle. You never know when you're going to need to blow a hole into a tour bus. But they get away without Gracie or Mao Lin, though. And at this point in time, it's like failure number two. Look, they get everybody out of the brothel when they they bust that place in. And then when they kick the doors in at Lopan's headquarters here, they end up getting everybody that was in prison there out, uh, except for the people that they came there to get. Gracie Law, she yeah. ends up getting, you know, taken at the end. Uh, and they realize that. So, that, of course, at this point, Egg Shin's character has kind of revealed that I guess it's his destiny to battle Lopan. And these guys have met before. Yeah. They know each other. They've had some kind of sorcerer interactions before we find out later in the movie. Well, I can't remember if they exactly say it or not, whether Egg Shin is – I mean, I was under the assumption that he was, like, really old, too. Yeah, they make it sound like he could possibly be like thousands of years old, like kind of like Lopan is. Yeah. But they never they, yeah. they don't ever come out and say it. They keep his character kind of mysterious. You know, he's like the wise sorcerer for our good side, but we don't really get to know that much about him. I do like how when they're getting ready to go and uh <laughs> uh stop uh Lopan from marrying the uh the girls with the green eyes cuz oh, I guess we totally skipped that, but go so Gracie Law she also has green eyes. Maolene has green eyes. And 
Lopan has to marry a girl with green eyes in order to break a curse. Make himself human again. Yeah, because he's been kind of hanging out in a weird spiritual mumbo-jumbo, somewhere in between our world and a spirit world. He has no physical form He's yet. been in like some weird... Yeah, he's been in like some weird limbo. Yeah, exactly. He's going to marry one girl to appease some demon, and then he's going to kill another one to uh, appease some emperor dude. Um, that's not actually yeah. a guy. I'm sorry. It's like an emperor spirit uh, or some spirit of yeah. an emperor. I'm not 100% sure and clear about that, but. Yeah, and it was like the Emperor's army, and they were trying to bring back the Emperor's army and shit. Yeah, they bring. Yeah, they do mention that, like, if Lopan ends up coming back in the flesh, like, it's not just Lopan coming back in the flesh and, you know, that's it, end of day. Like, he's going to try to bring about some kind of, uh, I don't know, some kind of Chinese apocalypse. At least that's how it comes out, yes. Get ready to bust in Lopan's place. <laughs> Eggshin's just like, all right, we've been waiting for this a while. Uh, hey, uh, go over there and open that closet. Hey, look, it's a firefighter's pole. Check it out. I had that installed Tuesday. Yeah. It goes down to the underworld. I, dude, yeah. I love that. I thought that was interesting, too. You know, it's like Ghostbusters. Yeah, right? I, I kind of – I that's exactly what I thought because, you know, Ghostbusters came out in 84. It's two years before this movie. Yeah. I almost did feel yeah. like it was, it was kind of a – a nod to, to Ghostbusters. It did feel like yeah. that a little bit. And I really love, man, they get down into that, that sewers under, under low pans, like the atmosphere of it to me, the atmosphere is what really gets me. You really start to encounter the, the evils when you get closer to where evil dwells. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they make their way further and further in. And while they're doing this, um, low pan is, is getting his brides ready. Let me ask you this, the Paul. Marriage. What? Uh, I mean, I thought I thought that still, you know, I thought it still looked decent. I, dude, it's so hysterical, man. It just cracks me up when that the thunder guy starts going down and doing it like, no, the dude looks badass. I'm not saying he doesn't look cool, all right? No, he looks awesome. Yeah. Now, when I say it's funny, it's just funny because it's so extended. And the thunder guy, like, all he has to do <laughs> is, like, I'm just going to go down this hall and look freaking awesome and do some cool kung fu like the other dudes all have like magical powers that the dude i swear to god man like the, the fucking facial expressions that a guy makes they're just hilarious he does look badass smoking a cigar though i will say that he looks like a class act bro dude these guys look sharp bro you know they look cool yeah we get a, we get the monsters pop back up we get the eyeball monster that we talked about earlier showed up that's kind of a spy so lopan knows what they're doing when Eggshin gives them the, he's got like the little, the, like the gourd with the magic drink in it. Oh yeah, man. That's the secret sauce, bro. What is in the Chinese secret sauce that makes you feel so awesome? Uh, this does what again, exactly? Huge buzz. Oh, good. You can see things no one else can see. Do things no one else can do. Real things. As real as Lopan. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? Oh, the six-demon bag. Terrific, a six-demon bag. Sensational. What's in it, Egg? Wind, fire, all that kind of thing. Okay, one thing I did not understand about this is it almost seemed like it did give Wang, like, extraordinary powers. Well, he said you would be able bit. to see and do things that most men can. But uh, it made Jack fucking stupider. That wedding room or whatever that he's getting married in. 
I will say I really I didn't really enjoy the design of that room that much. Like with all the neon lights and and shit. Like oh, but dude, the skull fucking know. entranceway is. I mean, that's badass, dude. Come on, man, that's that's so super cool. Well, yeah, it does look badass, but I mean, I I, I don't know. I don't know the, the neon lights, man. They they kind of wore off a little bit for me. Oh, man, I really, I think it ties it in. It gives it that 80 feelings. And, like, if you look, like, even even when they drive the truck into the alleyway and they, there's that big, um, there's the big gang fight, there's neon yeah. all over the windows and stuff. Like, neon is is everywhere in this film. You can't get away from it. I don't know, man. I mean, I still enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed this whole, this whole you know, third act, you know, final confrontation. No, I mean, I understand but, what you uh, mean. It doesn't look like a... Conan the Barbarian, Red Sonia kind of temple that you're used to seeing in like these, like an 80s sorcerer movie. But I mean, you know, it works, man. Yeah, it, you know, it works for the film. Uh, I even like it, like, before we even get down there into the battle and they, they drink their, their special secret awesome sauce. Yeah, I love it in that, in that elevator where they're like, yeah. Yeah, I feel pretty invincible right now. <laughs> they they had that great moment and it's, it's you know it, it gets a little awkward kind of toward at the end <laughs> feel pretty good and i'm not uh not scared at all i just feel kind of feel kind of invincible me too i got a very positive attitude about this good me too yeah getting hot in here is it just me yeah i guess a bunch of dudes like in an elevator it's, it's like they're super crowded getting ready to kick some ass it dude i i love that right before they get ready to go to the fight those little comedy moments they make this film really 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 special and i mean i think the comedy here works so well it's so funny even when they get to this battle scene at the end all of a sudden egg shen and low pan are busting out these crazy sorcerer moves where they almost have like these video game joysticks. And then you see like the two almost like samurai warrior looking, you know, like a feudal warriors battling in there. And you know, something else that I really didn't get in that scene. It's like, who, who the hell was that? The, the cat in the, in the armor, man. Yeah. It's one of the ceremony guards. Like when they, when they first come across that creature with the eyeball, he's got like some kind of like lion or dragon head armor on. Uh, I forget which one it is. It's one of those animals. It's, a, it's either a dragon or a lion. That that is the only time you see that outfit brought up. I mean, it makes sense uh, in yeah. that regards. Um, but yeah, that is yeah, a cool scene when like he finally he finally gets that uh, knife out from his freaking boot. And yeah, it sticks it on the end of his boot. Well, yeah, I guess he doesn't actually get it out of the end of the boot. <laughs> it's still stuck no, there. No, he doesn't. Yeah, it's still stuck in there. You know, Jack, he actually kind of disposes of this dude, you know, but most of it, like, Egg Shen's helping him out or, like, Wang's helping him out or just one of the normal red shirt, like, ninja guy. Well, I guess not ninjas, but whatever these uh, Chinese martial artists end up helping him out a couple times and save his bacon. Jack goes in and he's going to go after uh, (laughs) Lo Pan. He's in the elevator. With Gracie Law. She's talking to him, and he's just looking her up and down. And he's just staring at her. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I took something. I uh, I can see things that regular men can't. 
And he's just looking at Kim Cattrall like she is a piece of meat. And then I love that, like, he here we go. We finally get a romantic moment. The guy finally gets the girl. He plants a kiss. And the best part is that he's running around for, like, the next five minutes with lipstick on his face. That's awesome, dude. When he's got all that lipstick on his fucking face. That's what I don't understand, man. Like, how can people not realize that this is a comedy, man? Like, this is supposed to be freaking hilarious. Like, he's got lipstick on his face when he's going to take out the main bad guy. Yeah, he's trying to be so damn serious, too. <laughs> he looks so fucking foolish. Jack Jack has been pretty much, pretty much a screw-up and just comic relief the entire time. He's got his one knife, and he's going against Lopan, and he throws it at Lopan, and it just misses terribly, just totally screws up. And hits hits the the gong behind the wall. Yes. But here we go. We got our checkoff gun here, right? Gun was introduced in the first act, must go off in the third. Lopan throws a knife at him. Jack Burton catches it, throws it right back. Boom! Right in the forehead, man. Right in the forehead. Dude, what makes this so great is... That expression on fucking Kurt Russell's face after he does it. He's just like, and he, I like it how he, he kind of looks around like, yeah, he's I all did it, right? about it. Yeah, he, he's kind of like a bit nonchalant about it, too. He's like, yeah, I meant to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, right? It's like, dude, has no has no skills. It's just luck. It's the same thing that's managed to get you this far through the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man dude it's so great but i mean kurt kurt russell does a really good job like even like when they're getting ready yes. to go down the firefighter pole you know to go fight lopan i'm pretty sure it's wang he says something like oh don't be scared and, and the kurt russell's like i'm scared you know he gives him some thing but when he turns around he gives yeah. her like a oh man he gives i'm gonna shit my pants look it's so fucking priceless lopan lopan is finally dealt with but thunder's still in the room what did you think of how they dispatched Thunder? Well, I mean, you know, he just kind of got really big and blew up. But I'll tell you what I did like about that scene is, like, in that same hallway with all those gold Buddha statues, like, I did think it was cool how, like, they all crumbled, you know, and they all started to break and fall apart and everything else after, you know, Lopan gets killed. Oh, yeah, that is that is cool, man. And I, I do like Thunder exploding. Like, that's a big point in the movie, like, a lot of... A lot of people remember this scene. It's it's one of those crazy makeup effects. I mean, oh my gosh, when he gets really super big and like the air is coming like out his of his shoes, nostrils. Yeah, and his shoes start to split. Yes. And then he just explodes out into the hallway. Like <laughs> it's so ridiculous, man. Once again, your ultimate power was just to make yourself really big and explode. And just gross everybody the fuck out by covering them with your insides. Well, no, I don't think that was his power. I don't think he was like the the boomers from like uh, Left for Dead or anything like that. Yeah. No, I think it was more along the lines of like, you know, his master died. and He just got so pissed that he couldn't control that air intake. That's how I always kind of read it. I don't know, really. I mean, you can kind of read it however you want because it's not explained. He's like Boo from Dragon Ball Z. He gets angry he gets overheated they run across uh the lightning dude again i guess rain got rain got taken out by uh by wang when they're going up in the air and they're doing that sword battle and how yeah you know how anime cartoons i have like when characters are flying real fast or running real fast they have that yeah. a really exaggerated fast motion 
They, they're just drawing. Yeah. You can't actually see anything. It's just a, usually a color behind them with some stripes to illustrate movement. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I like that. I know a lot of people are just like, ah, you know, that's stupid. It looks fake. It's dumb. But it, it fits with the style and it fits with the Asian influences that Carpenter is pulling from. I think it makes total sense. I, I really enjoy that scene as well. And, and, you know, like you said, you can definitely see where there may be a little bit of anime influence there. You know, they're all trying to get away in the last, the last, the lightning guy. I, the one thing I didn't understand was, it's like, why is he standing there at the end of the hallway, you know, basically, like, doing lightning parlor tricks instead of just going down the hallway and just taking him out? He's not really making any effort to attack anyone. And then he gets taken out by that big-ass statue that, statue that gets dropped on him. It's, okay, so maybe this part of the movie is not actually staged the best in terms of... I guess if the movie was trying to be realistic, I would completely, I would agree with you. I would, I would ding the movie on this if it was a realistic film. Because there's no way that a guy that has supernatural powers that shoots lightning all over the place, like he should just be able to fry them at the end of the hall. I, I agree with that. I understand that logic. But this yeah. is not a realistic movie. This movie is very cartoony. Okay, so he sees them at the end of the hall and they go up one level through a hole and they, yeah. you know, they kind of jump up through that. And then that's, here we go with egg Shin. He shows up. I mean, oh, this is the whole thing with the, this end sequence. And I hear a lot of complaints about this. I'm glad you brought this up, but when he shoots that little crossbow, and I mean, when I say a little crossbow, I mean, it is a pistol crossbow. It's, this is not like, we're not talking about like Daryl from the walking dead where it's some big, huge thing. No, this is something you can hold in your hand in one like hand. Teeny tiny. Egg Shen, I'm sure he works out. And, you know, he's he's a, he's a magical, you know, Chinese man, so he's magic. So I'm just going to go with the fact that he can hold that pistol, shoot that arrow in the ground, and it's got a little pulley system. He can hold up these women and two other men. Because his mind and his spirit were one. Well, I mean, Egg Shen's mind and spirit are always one, dude. The only, per- the only person here that was having a problem with that was Wang, all right? It was Wang. And, you know, we have gone this entire podcast without making a wing joke. So I think we deserve a medal. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> that one single wing joke that, uh, was made. <laughs> Yet. Not only that, but considering that the uh, other main character's name was Jack as well, too. So we've been putting Jack and Wang in the same sentence all night. And we've just been letting that fruit hang there. You know, you know, hey, we're, yeah. we're classy here. All right. This... You guys are far from classy. <laughs> Here's classy over here. There's the movie crew podcast. They're on opposite ends <laughs> of the spectrum. <laughs> but okay, this movie is yeah. so quick. When Roger Ebert's like, oh, yeah, it's like a chase film. It's one big, long chase. I'm like, Why is how is that an insult? That's what Mad Max Fury Road was. And that just won an Oscar for best editing and uh uh, best costume design and production. You know, I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with that. The characters are so easily likable. You know, you want to see them prevail. So I think I think that also has a lot to do with it too. I mean, these are all likable people. I mean, we don't get. It, there's not a whole lot of character moments where we get to to build with these people. But for a summer blockbuster, man, it's it's enough. You get in, you get out, and you know who these people are. Like, if it didn't feel like it was a chase the whole time until you finally got to the end, it's like that would take the fun out of the movie. There are three editors for this, and, man, dude, they 
I mean, I can see why. It's just there's a lot of stuff, and it's really, really quick. And there are a lot of shots in this thing. I mean, there, man, there's so many shots in this movie, and they're just they're throwing so much visual information at you. This entire third act is insane. I mean, it's just crazy, yeah, but in the best is. way possible. All right, so all right, so we have our big confrontation. Our heroes are victorious. And Wang ended up paying him the rest of the money that he owed him. Yeah, they get back to the the restaurant, and uh, well, he he pays him what he owes him, but he, he he pays him triple. It's not double. It's not double or nothing. It's triple. Yep, it's nothing or triple. And then the whole interaction between him and Grace, dude, like. And she's like, you don't have a small apartment in the back of that truck, do you? No, I'm not having that. And he's talking about how his track record with women. To see why your track record with women is uh, pretty bad there, dude. And you talk to no one on the CB. He's like, uh, look, uh, I can't give up the lot lizards, honey. <laughs> Wayne has more of a little bit of a heartfelt, sentimental moment with Jack than uh, Gracie does. Jack just kind of... Leaves and he's back on the road again, talking into the CV with no one on the other end. The Orange Yeti is listening to him, so there's that. When this movie ended, I was kind of disappointed that I never got a sequel to this, or I never got a franchise from Big Trouble in Little China. Like, this movie feels like I needed a Big Trouble yeah, in Little it, China it, trilogy, right? Especially with the way it ended with the Chewbacca Yeti Bigfoot left open to where it could maybe be a sequel to it. Well, I'm not even only talking about the, just the Yeti, but like just the Indiana Jones feel of this movie. Like Indiana Jones got two more yeah. movies. I feel like Jack Burton deserved two more movies, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Man, Definitely. it's a shame that this wasn't more successful at the box office at the time. It's just one of those things that, man, we should have been on board with this when this came out. It's a, it's a really good movie. I wish Carpenter and, and Kurt Russell would have been able to bask a little bit in their glory when this movie came out. And we would have all had, you know, collectively as a as a movie going audience at that time, gotten our heads out of our asses and enjoyed the movie for what this movie was and not hating for hating it for what it wasn't or hating it because it wasn't this or wasn't that. Because I do think this was in 86. This was in the time of Stallones and Schwarzeneggers where we had big action stars. Yeah. I don't know if America was ready to have a, an action star in Kurt Russell that was a bumbling idiot. But, you know, hey, uh, Carpenter's really big right now. Carpenter's uh, making a really good big comeback. Big splash here. Of course, the real big news going around right now is that Carpenter is returning to the Halloween franchise. He is executive producing the new Halloween reboot, remake, reimagining, whatever re it is. I, they don't know yet because they don't have a script yet, but John Carpenter's on board to executive produce and maybe perhaps write the music for a new Halloween film, and that's enough to get me excited. It's so cool to see you know, John Carpenter kind of go back to, you know, what he, where he started from. I would love to see a, a good Halloween movie again. Yeah, you know, it made me feel kind of good that he slammed the remake a little bit too. He did, he did, he did talk a little, he, well, he didn't talk a little crap, but he, he made a little nudge about maybe Rob Zombie's Halloween remake was not exactly what he would do. I, he said he was going back to basics yeah. with this one. And I mean, I'm just so I'm so looking forward to that film. 
everything John Carpenter does, anything he's involved with in film or even music. He has uh he's touring right now for the uh the Lost Themes 2, uh which is his second album he put out with his son uh, Cody Carpenter. Uh the first one, man, I've ah man, I've I've listened to that I don't know how many times. Like if you like John Carpenter scores, listen to that album. It's called Lost Themes, it's really good. He's got his new one out, it's called Lost Themes 2. Man, it's it's good music, man. It's just John Carpenter doing his thing, being fucking awesome. Well, uh, Paul, I think we've rambled enough about Big Trouble in Little China and um, John Carpenter. All right, guys, so that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you so much for listening to our episode about Big Trouble in Little China. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E. That's right, extra E at the end at gmail.com. And guys, if you could please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher, that would be awesome. Helps people find out about the show. We're at Movie Crew Pod on Twitter. You can follow us there. We're on Facebook. And Paul, why don't you go ahead and take us out? Tell us what these people are listening to tonight. Tonight's musical selection is the title track, Big Trouble in Little China, performed by the Coupe de Villes, featuring... John Carpenter, Nick Castle, and Tommy Lee Wallace. Enjoy. You can feel the wind is rising, baby. Now the truth is...